Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to What's Important Now, the podcast from the United States Border Patrol Academy. It's been a tough, well, really, two years for the men and women of CBP, law enforcement, and indeed the entire country. We've been dealing with a, a massive pandemic. Uh, it seems like we've been wearing these mourning bands more than we haven't, especially this year. We've lost a lot of brothers and sisters that, uh, that didn't need to be lost. And I say that because out of all the ones that we've lost thus far this year, 11 have been to suicide. And what it did, it really called into question for us the importance of our mental health and what we're doing to take care of our brothers and sisters that are out there. And having done this for 25 years, I can tell you that only recently in our history have we started to emphasize and give importance to the idea of mental health, not just for us, but for our families. And I'd like to say that we've made great strides, but we also have a long way to go. And recognizing that, we've started to involve professionals, people who are trained, educated, do this for a living, and have a tremendous passion for helping others. And we have one such person with us today. We have Miss Shannon Mosley from Loyal Source. Shannon, thanks for being here. Very happy to be here. Thank you. I want to tell everybody about you real quick. Okay. So you come to us as a licensed professional counselor and behavioral health advisor. And you do this for OFO, the Office of Field Operations, and you do this for the Border Patrol, and I'm assuming anybody else in CBP that, that would need it. Mm -hmm. Right now you're based out of El Paso, El Paso, Texas. And you spent most of your life as a United States Marine Corps dependent. Mm -hmm. So the military or the life of service rings true with you. You, you come from a, a position of experience in that regard. You got a, a BA in psychology from Eastern Car East Carolina University and a, a master's in counseling from Texas A&M. Commerce, Texas A&M Commerce. Oh, Texas A&M Commerce. And then you are a, a counselor, educator, doctoral candidate mm -hmm. at the same university. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what all that means, but it sounds pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely glad to have somebody like you on our side and helping out with this, with this effort. And goes on to say that you, know, you, you take a holistic approach to mental health and you've continued your education and training, receiving certifications in mindfulness, yoga, somatic experience, and, and a host of other things, including trauma, suicide prevention, and positive aging. I want you to talk a little bit about what is Loyal Source and what does it do for CBP specifically. I know there's a couple different things that it does right now and, and they're entirely different from one another. Start off with that. Tell us a little bit about what you do in each of those uh, each of those areas and how they differ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a lot of people who are familiar with the Border Patrol with Loyal Source know them more as the medical side that works with the illegal immigrants, um, which is what they've been doing for quite a while now. My role and the role of my um, ever other behavioral health advisors is a little different because we work on the other side. We work with the agents directly as well as their family members. Uh, so I call them my loyal source cousins. Uh, they're in the back. That's usually how I refer to them. 
and uh, and our role is uh, a lot uh, very different. Um, so. When I go to musters, for example, I always make sure I distinguish that difference. Um, and I'm very happy to say that the agents are excited to have us uh, working with them and helping them and their families. And so what is it, if you had to capture it in a nutshell, what is it, what service are you providing for the agents and their families? Mm -hmm. So we offer consultations, uh, referrals, um, quick tips, pro tips is what I call them, regarding anything that has to do with their um, mental health needs. Uh, so sometimes it's, hey, I work mids, I'm having a lot of trouble falling asleep, can you give me some tips on sleeping better? Sure, I can give you some resources for that. Um, sometimes it's, uh, you know, my spouse and I are really having trouble connecting lately. Um, can we meet with you? We're not sure that we want to start therapy, but you know, maybe we could kind of bounce some ideas off of you. Sure, I can meet with you two together. Um, and then sometimes it can be a little bit more, you know, what others would consider serious, right? So um, I'm starting to have panic attacks. I've never had them before. I'm, I'm sleeping two hours a night. Um, it feels like it's serious, but I'm really not sure if I want to go seek help. Uh, so I can meet with them and talk through their options and see, you know, where they can go from there. And you're actually, you and Loyal Source are actually part of a greater network or system of uh, programs that are geared toward helping employees of CBP. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about what those are and how they differ from what you provide. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited because the entire wellness team that's available to Border Patrol and their families is significant. Um, so you've got your peer support, you've got your chaplains, um, you have your um, EAP, you've got your behavioral health advisors, you've got your veteran support people. Uh, I mean, honestly, there's a lot out there for any agent that just you know, wants to be able to talk to somebody or get any kind of resource tips. Um, now, EAP and my role gets a little confused, so I did want to clarify that. And EAP, of course, is the Employee Assistance Program. Correct. And that's also an outside entity that helps CBP. Correct. We're going to talk about that, the difference between the two here in a second, peer yes. versus outside. Yes. So EAP. Yes. Mm. Uh, and EAP provides multiple resources, but one of them is therapy, and it's more mm. continuous ongoing therapy. My role isn't continuous ongoing therapy. The behavioral health advisors can do one, two, maybe three consultations, really depending on what the need is. Um, and, you know, uh, and sometimes it can take maybe a couple of weeks to get started with a therapist. So if the need is high and they're a couple of weeks out, you know, we can work with them until they start with the EAP therapist. So it is very different. What I tell people, because sometimes there's a little disappointment in their face, I'll say, hey, you know, I have a 40-hour work week. If I worked with 2% of you <laughs> in the sector, I'd never have enough time to do anything else. So, um, so that's the main difference between EAP and the behavioral health advisor too. Okay. And real quick before I forget, so mm -hmm. if they want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so um, behavioral health advisors, we've got um, a group in RGV, and then we've got the El Paso. Um, team and we um, they can call text or email us um, at any time if they need us and we will respond within 24 hours it's usually much less 
um, but we'll respond quickly and we're available um, promptly. And we should have the email and the contact information at the bottom of the screen for those that are watching, but those that are listening on, on some of the uh, audio platforms, mm -hmm. what would be the uh, email that they would contact? So uh, I'll give my, my email because certainly I could be a great starting point. We don't have like a, a general email for the whole team, but mine is smosley, so that's S-M-O-S-E-L-E-Y at loyalsource.com, L-O-Y-A-L-S-O-U-R-C-E.com. Okay. Now I want to talk a little bit about when would somebody choose to call you as opposed to EAP or peer support? What would be, mm -hmm. you know, what would you recommend somebody contact you as opposed to peer support? Mm -hmm. So peer support is a phenomenal asset for the Border Patrol. Um, and sometimes they'll go to peer support first and then they can get referred back to me. But really if the issue is something that feels like um, uh, something that is beyond talking to a peer. Um, so for example, if the, if the problem that they're dealing with is very significant in the way it affects their daily functioning, uh, that would probably be more mental health, right? More, um, more of a clinician. So, you know, hey, I'm having some trouble falling asleep. I'm, um, you know, I'm having some difficulty at work. That would be great for peer support, right? Something that would require more of a, maybe a diagnosis as opposed to just venting or listening. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, not necessarily a diagnosis um, because, you know, in my field, diagnosis can be significant sure. with what that mm -hmm. means, right? Because, for example, you don't get diagnosed with depression just randomly. You can have mild depression without a diagnosis, for example. It just depends. But, yeah, the way I look at it is if the severity of it is such that you are having difficulty functioning in your daily life, um, then, then you would probably go to more the behavioral health advisor or EAP. You could call EAP directly. It doesn't have to be through the behavioral health advisors. Um, we're just one more asset there for them. Mm -hmm. But peer support is really good. They're very well trained. Um, you know, they're also helpers. They love what they do. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are educated enough to be able to know when to refer. And they do refer to me um, sometimes as well. So I want to talk to so just to point out to everybody, and so peer support, veteran support program, chaplaincy, mm -hmm. EAP, mm -hmm. loyal source now mm -hmm. being added to the mix. I just listed five really good, really solid programs that are now available for our brothers and sisters out there mm -hmm. that I can tell you did not exist when I came in. That's, that's progress. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really good, but we have to get our folks to use them. Mm -hmm. We have to get our folks to actually want to call and get that assistance. Mm -hmm. And that's been a problem, particularly in our profession. Mm -hmm. Why is that? You know, in law enforcement and first responders, really, there's um, a bit of a stigma with mental health. I think part of that has to do with the idea that you are all um, so well-trained in being strong and protectors, uh, and that the idea of anything soft can sometimes be uncomfortable, and mental health can be considered soft sometimes. So... Um, you know, being able to reach out and say, I need help, seems um, very opposed, perhaps, to somebody who can take down a bad guy, you know. Uh, and so that's, that's one of the reasons why. Um, in addition, there is a trust issue, um, people feeling like their jobs are going to be secure if they seek mental health assistance is very, very important. Um, that's an ongoing issue uh, for much of law enforcement. 
and it's understandable. I understand that. Um, but I think it's real important also for people who are in this profession to understand that they are just as important as the people they care for and that they look out for, and that their mental health is, um, is, is health. It's just as important as the physical health, and that they can perform their job much better, um, and then also their personal lives can be um, much more uh, enriching if they pause and take time to honor what's going on on the inside as well emotionally. I think you said something very important right there. You need to equate it as being as important as your physical health. Yes. So you have to invest time because certainly there's a lot of folks in our profession that devote a lot of time towards our physical health. Oh, yeah stands to reason we should do the same on the inside as well. Absolutely. So I want to put that stigma to rest. Mm -hmm. You get calls all the time. Peer support gets calls all the time. Mm -hmm. EAP gets calls all the time. People in our profession are using these programs. Absolutely. You should not consider yourself to be abnormal if you need to use one of those programs. Absolutely. In fact, it's completely normal. Absolutely. And I'll share with everybody, I've used EAP myself. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that it's a great asset. It's a great uh, resource out there, and we shouldn't feel bad about uh, about using it in a time of need because we all need help from time to time. We all need help from time to time. No one is immune. Absolutely. So great points. I want to talk about the law enforcement profession, the first responder profession specifically for a moment, mm -hmm. and why we need to maybe pay a little bit more attention to our mental health mm -hmm. based on the things that we see and the things that we do. What separates our profession, our community from others? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I'll just start off with saying the in, in law enforcement, the rates of post-traumatic stress are higher than the general population. Um, and I also mention, you know, those who served in the military, it's higher. So if you're prior mill as well as in Border Patrol, statistically, you have a little bit higher risk of some uh, trauma responses. And that's not because you're a weaker person. Oh, no, no, no. It's because of what you've been through. Absolutely. What you've seen. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, and I do want to add a little caveat because we do talk a lot about trauma, and, and I'm going to continue on that path a mm -hmm. little bit. But my caveat is, you know, the percentage of people, so if it's about 10% for law enforcement, we're not quite, I don't quite know the number for Border Patrol specifically, but it's, you know, it's higher with law enforcement there. You know, maybe 11 to 15% for veterans of the Gulf War, 30% um, for, you know, the veterans of Vietnam War, so it depends on the war, these types of things. But note that there's still, the majority don't develop those symptoms, right? Sure. Don't develop post-traumatic stress. And I think that's really important too, because sometimes people feel, feel it's inevitable and it's mm. not. So, um, so that's my little caveat there, right? Understood. Makes sense. Um, but you know, the, the compound trauma is really the issue with law enforcement, that and, um, and the difficult shifts and how that can affect the family life as well. But you know, compounding trauma, you all see things that humans should never see. And then you see it again, and then you see it again. And that uh, I need to be tough and strong, um, so I'm just going to deal with it. Um, you know, I'm going to um, use humor to cope. That's often what I hear with the agents. I was going to bring that up. Oh, yeah, yeah. all the time. And, I, and, I, and I'm not opposed to that. I've been asked that a few times. You know, it's, it's, humor is an effective coping tool when you don't want to express the other emotions that are more vulnerable and uncomfortable in that moment. I think, uh, I, you know, when I was going to, to college, I worked for a time as an EMT and a paramedic, and I think it was called gallows humor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was, uh, 
it's joking about things that normally you wouldn't joke about. Mm -hmm. But it is a coping mechanism. It is. And from the outside, for people who don't know, if they were to hear that, they might uh, unfairly judge the person who's speaking that way. But it, it is a means of survival in the moment because you are seeing, again, something that is very, very difficult. And if you were to cry, you can't cry in that moment. Maybe later. That'd be great. People cried later sometimes, right? But in that moment, you can't. Uh, and, and being angry about it isn't going to be helpful in that moment as well. But you being able to joke and laugh it off and and distance yourself from the thing that you've seen is very important for your mental health capacity and to get through it in that moment. So I can tell you, I remember you know, doing that even as a Border Patrol agent uh, in my younger years. Is, you know, In some way, it kind of made that not as realistic and easier to deal with whenever mm -hmm. you would, when you would joke about it or when you would say something that, uh, you know, talking to your peers about, uh, you know, making fun. Mm -hmm. And anybody on the outside that hadn't been in that situation or felt what that was like would probably think that was insensitive. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it's just, you said it, what you see or what you deal with, you know, death, mm -hmm. uh, extreme hardship, you know, mm -hmm. being scared for your life. These are things that uh, a person has to find a way to get past mm -hmm. so they can continue on. And there's only so many ways we can do that. Mm -hmm. And up until very recently, these outlets, like yourself, weren't there for us. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an important point in how we cope with it. And I want to continue on with the law enforcement profession itself and, and mm -hmm. why we need to focus inward and realize that mental health is something that we need to focus on, not just for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters out there because of what we see and, mm -hmm. and what we go through each and every day. It's not just the trauma, per se, but... This is a very polarizing and political climate mm -hmm. for all of law enforcement right now. There are people that, that really, really love us, mm -hmm. and there are people that just despise us. Mm -hmm. And that can be a hard thing to deal with because at the end of the day, no matter what they feel about us, we are expected to be the exact same and treat everybody the exact same. So it, mm -hmm. it seems counterintuitive that, that we want to put our lives on the line and help somebody who would just as soon let us die. Yes, yeah, so, uh, and that is that is a stressor, for sure, I hear it, I hear it from the agents, too, it can be very stressful, all of what you said, uh, you know, being able to um, function in your role as a Border Patrol agent, knowing that the people you interact with um, might, like you, I'll use your word, despise you, uh, is very challenging, because you, you are... I don't, I guess I can't say, I tell everyone like, you guys are badasses, right? I don't know if I can say <laughs> can that say or not. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like you are, that is who you are, right? Then your job. Um, but you also are human and you feel those human emotions that everybody else feels. And that can be really um, frustrating to know that you're not being appreciated for all of what you give because you sacrifice greatly for this country and for, for what you're doing very much sacrificing. So and I bring that up because uh, I'll, I'll tell you one good example for me. We just had LA County Deputy Sheriff Claudia Apollinar here. Mm -hmm. She visited with our trainees and, and in fact did a podcast here and she was recounting her events when she was shot and the part that stuck with me is there were people that were videoing with their phones that were that were mocking and yelling obscenities and then 
when she was in the ambulance being taken taken to the uh, the hospital, mm-hmm. there were people blocking the entrance to the hospital, chanting, "Let them die, let them die." Mm-hmm. That was terrible. And as I watched it, and probably like everybody else listening, it made me angry, mm-hmm. just just absolutely angry. But you know what her approach was? She says, "You know what? That does not represent the majority of the community. I don't believe." that those folks represent the majority of the people of this country. And in an instant, she wants to go back to doing this job, and she would gladly put her own life on the line to try and help any of those folks, no matter what they felt about her. When you see somebody of that caliber, and I see them all the time in the Border Patrol and in CDP, all of our partners out there, you can't help but want the best for people like that. And it, it makes you mad to see people treat them or think of them in such a negative light. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean when I say there's more to it than just the trauma of the job. It's the environment that we find ourselves in sometimes that can contribute to mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's so, so challenging. Uh, yeah. I, I felt angry just by you describing it to me. I didn't even <laughs> see the video. Yeah. And so that affects us. Mm-hmm. And so we need to find a way, an outlet. And so there are these different avenues available to us. Mm-hmm. And I've had it said, and, and our veteran support uh, program coordinator, uh, Agent Gill, he brought it up when he created the veteran support program that sometimes it's better to talk to a peer. You talk to somebody with the shared experience. And he, he uses the term, veterans need to talk to veterans. Mm-hmm. You know, law enforcement talks to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. What does that do for us? Why, why is that such a, an important piece in coping in mental health, why would it be more comforting, and this is a softball question, mm-hmm. for, for, for example, for me to talk to another border patrol agent if I'm having an issue? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's the understanding, not having to explain when you make a, a statement about something you've seen or experienced, they get it, they get it right away, they understand. And that's a type of connection that you can't get outside of that kind of community. Um, it doesn't mean that people don't care or, you know, who haven't lived the, that life don't care um, or can't connect. But it's very, very unique to be able to talk to somebody and say, you know, when I went, uh, um, I was on swings and this is what happened. And they totally get what you're saying. I banged mm-hmm. in the other day. I learned that term recently, <laughs> so I had to use it. <laughs> For those that but, don't know, swings refers to the swing shift. That's usually the... Uh, the two o'clock to ten or midnight shift, and then banged in means I called in sick. You yeah. know, it's a, it's it's the jargon, it's the it's the slogan of the profession, right? By the way, one of my favorite things about Border Patrol is your unique culture and jargon. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a while to. It's almost like a separate language unto itself. It is. It? It's yeah. a lot of fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bring that up about talking to one another, more for the families because there are families that are at home that may wonder. Why are they talking to the coworkers and they don't share these things mm-hmm. with me? Mm-hmm. And it's simply a matter of relatability. Mm-hmm. Is that yes. a, fair, a fair statement? It is that. And also, there's also a level of wanting to protect the spouse, the significant other, the children from the trauma that they're mm-hmm. experiencing. They don't want them to see how ugly the world is. Um, they, they're just trying to protect them. So there is a lot of that. You know, I've, I've, I talk to agents sometimes because there's, um, uh, difficulty sometimes when they get home, right? And maybe they just saw, you know, a horrible incident, they had a rollover, dead bodies, whatever that is, and then they go home and they've mm-hmm. got kids running to them, you know, daddy, and not just daddy, we've got our five percenters, but you yep. know, hey, you're home, you're home, you know, and, uh, and, and they aren't emotionally ready, they aren't open for that yet, they're still very raw from what they've seen, 
Um, so communication is very, very important. You know, communicating with a spouse, like, hey, I just need 20 minutes alone. Uh, I'm going to take a long shower. You know, I'm going to go uh, sit on the back porch. I just need 20 minutes alone, and then I'll be ready to talk. Uh, or whatever that is. And then for the spouse also to understand of giving that space when it's needed and also communicating their own needs, right? Sure. So sometimes it's the spouses, I've been home all day with the little kids. I need to talk to Absolutely. an adult right now. Mm -hmm. So that's okay to have that need, but it needs to be also expressed. So when you come home, you get 30 minutes. This is just a general example. Take 30 minutes. I'll keep the kids quiet or we'll go outside or whatever that is. And then I'll need... 30 minutes of just talking to you, please, where you're paying attention to me, you're not looking at the phone or television. And you negotiate whatever that is for you, and then you do it and you make it a priority. That's what's really important, is communicating your need and also being respectful and understanding that. So for, for the support to the Border Patrol agent, it's important to know that they are oftentimes just trying to shield you from the horrible things that they've seen. Um, and, it, and it doesn't mean daily that they see horrible things, but I'm gonna tell you, uh, working with Border Patrol agents, um, you know, they are the most, they are exceptionally resilient, um, very devoted, and um, stellar professionals. And in and, and being those things, they do their job well, and then they also take care of their family in that way. Um, and they try to separate that for that reason. So I, th I think that's great advice on an entirely different front because as you know the divorce rate in law enforcement and especially in the Border Patrol is quite high. Yes. And I think a lot of it can be attributed probably to that lack of communication. Yes. And what you just laid out is is gold in terms of mm -hmm. this is how you can take care of one another mm -hmm. and meet each other's needs and it all starts with mm -hmm. that communication that we're not always good at. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Just not. Right. So let's switch to the families now mm -hmm. because as I like to remind all of the trainees they are on this journey with us. They are part of this shared experience. And when we're going on that roller coaster ride, when we're experiencing those highs, they're right there with us. And whenever we're experiencing those lows, so are they. We have to take care of their mental health as well because mm -hmm. their role in this is so critical. They are the ones that send us out the door each and every day to do this job. And I've said it before, you can have chaos at work and be just fine as long as everything is okay at home. Mm -hmm. But the reverse is not true. Absolutely. And if you have chaos at home and your mind is elsewhere, when you're out on the job, mm -hmm. bad things can happen. Mm -hmm. So what can we do to further protect and address the mental health of our families that send us out the door every day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I'll go back again to the communication piece. From the beginning, especially with your trainees, right, being able to share the experience and and understanding that a move might be significant for the, fam the family member. So being able to discuss that, what the move means, looking for uh, resources at the beginning. Um, and, you know, remember EAP, behavioral health, peer, like we're, we're here for families too. Um, they're, they're not left out of this. So they have that kind of support as well. Um, but if, you know, one of my, one of my, so I'm in a doctoral program and my cognate is marriage and family therapy. And one of my preferred um, studies is through the Gottman method. And they are, it's highly researched, it's a wonderful program. And they look at how to um, uh, nurture relationships from the beginning. They can predict the divorce rate of a couple, <clears throat> that like 93%, something like that, it's very high. 
Um, and so being very proactive, uh, and I say marriage, I understand not everybody's married. I don't want to leave out the people that aren't married, right? But when you're in any kind of an intimate relationship, it's important to um, talk about what's going on, to be open and honest about um, where the relationship is, and to prioritize that relationship. So, you know, when you're working 10, 12-hour days, and you come home, and you finally have a day or two off, you're going to want to spend time together and make that a priority in quality time, not quantity time, especially with the kids, too. Just being in the room is not time well spent. You know, it's engaging with those people that you love because what you said is so spot on. If if your if your home life isn't um, isn't uh, secure right, isn't uh, supportive, then you are really going to struggle in everything else that you do. And then, you know, Border Patrol is not forever. And so when you are done with Border Patrol, when you retire one day with whatever that is, you want to have a family waiting for you uh, and a family that you're connected with. And that can be very difficult if you don't prioritize um, the communication, the quality time, and those things. So... As you're talking, I was reminded of uh, Chief Manny Padilla was on on the show, and you know he's now in charge as EAC of uh, Operation Support, but he's been the chief of Tucson sector, the chief of Rio Grande Valley sector, chief of New Orleans sector. He was our what we call B3 chief of the uh, operations directorate. So he was talking about his son. I, if, I, if I get the phrase right, he said he called him a cardboard dad, and it had to do with the fact that he was sitting at the dinner table. He was physically there, but his mind was elsewhere. He wasn't engaged in the conversation. He was, he was thinking about other things. Mm-hmm. And I guess that hit him like a ton of bricks. And he actually got emotional talking about it. And I'll be honest, as he's explaining that, I, 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 I can think of times when I was doing that. And I think that's what you're talking about. Is mm-hmm. It's more than just being physically present. It's engaging mm-hmm. and taking that time to, to be there and talk to him and share those moments as opposed to, yeah, I went to the baseball game or I ate dinner with you, but there was nothing of substance. When you say quality versus quantity, I'm guessing that's what you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. And by the way, if you're going to the game, don't be on your phone the whole time because when your kid looks back, they don't want to see you in the stands looking down. They want you to have eyes on them all the time. And, you know, children are amazingly resilient and so wonderful. It can be, um, you know, such a joy, right? They, their needs are very basic. They want to feel loved and paid attention to. And that's it. And it doesn't have to be 24-7. They would like it to be 24-7, but it doesn't have to be 24-7. But you have to have moments of connecting with them every single day. I mean, your spouse, your significant other, too. Um, The needs are a little different in that area, right? But with those kids, they need to feel that connection. And if you're... And and that's not... I also want to be very... um, Careful, I don't want to judge anybody or you know, be highly sure. critical because we all do it. It's not as though, I mean, I, I've had my moments too with my kids, right? Like, oh, sorry. I just need to have something brought to my attention about it. So, you know, turning off your phone. Um, I've heard of some agents that bring the radio home and like, you got to disconnect. Like, work is work. When you're done with work, you have to find a switch and whatever that is. So for some people, it's, um, you know, we talk about this with the new employee wellness group with the trainees that come out of the academy that, that come to my sector. Um, you have to have a switch. So for some of them, it's taking a shower when they're done, taking off you from the shower and kind of like washing the day down the drain. And that's their switch. When they're done with that, then they are in home mode, right, personal life mode. Um, the click of putting your gun in the safe. Whatever that is, is real important to have that switch. And then if you find yourself falling back, now I'm looking at my emails at home or I'm distracted, 
that's okay. But then recognize that and then decide, is this more important than this right now? And if it is, communicate. I'm really sorry, honey. I, I, I can't focus for like the next 10 minutes. I have to take care of this, but I will get back to you. And then you got to get back to them. So communicating, being honest about what's going on, and trying to be more self-aware, and then also forgiving yourself when you slip up, because we all slip up. Well, and I think that's one of the things that this increased connectivity with technology today, you really can stay involved in work 24-7, and sometimes there's almost that expectation on you. And the one thing I think about our profession and professions like it that is unique is there is no finish to a project. There is no mm -hmm. end game. This work persists as long as we're in it and well after we're gone. Yeah. There is no stopping. So that the, the job will always be there when you come back to it. And so it's it's almost like running on a hamster wheel. You just mm -hmm. you never finish. You never cross the finish line. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't learn those triggers to separate, mm -hmm. you will stay engaged twenty four seven and you'll miss out on everything else. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's so unhealthy. It's unhealthy, and it's unhealthy, I was going to say it's unhealthy for your mental health, but your physical health, because both are very connected. You can't have one without the other. I mean, um, I know this is kind of going off in a different direction, but, uh, you know, if, if we, like, where's the one place in your body where if you're feeling anything strongly, you feel it the most? Your stomach, usually, mm -hmm. right? That's the body communicating. We yeah. feel it up here when we breathe quicker. We feel the tension in our shoulders. So you can't separate mental health and physical health. And so, yeah, being able to um, turn turn that switch off and start with the home life isn't just about you taking care of your mental health. It's your overall health from head to toe, inside and out. That's great. That's a great point. So you've given us a lot of things to think about and, and good nuggets of wisdom to kind of help get started down the right path. Mm -hmm. I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to talk about what we've gone through this uh, the, this past year especially and I want to I want to focus on the suicides a little bit because that's something that all of us are struggling with right now. Uh, you, you look at it and, and the first thing that comes to most of our minds I think is man could I have seen it? Or could I have done anything to to stop it? And, and, and what can I learn or what can I do so that this doesn't happen again? Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about this. So what, what's, is there any magic bullet that will help us try to recognize ahead of time? Is it just a fact of life? What's going on? Mm. You know, first I do want to say I know this is a sensitive subject for many people because statistically a lot of the listeners, viewers, will have experienced um, some kind of connection with suicide. Um, I think for every suicide, there's at least six suicide survivors in terms of family and friends that were close to the person and now lives with that the rest of their life. Um, and so, you know, there is no magic bullet, so to speak. There, there's a lot of research that's been done. They are, there's ongoing research. There are a lot of things to look for. Um, unfortunately, you know, sometimes when people look back is more when they recognize some of these issues. A couple pieces of research that are real important I think to share um, is that over and over again they found that a lot of people who die by suicide in the, in the six months prior went to their primary care physician for some other issue. Because remember, physical and mental health mm -hmm. is related, right? So maybe they're having stomach issues or sleep issues or things like that, was, which was maybe depression manifesting physiologically. Um, so we are trying to push within that medical community for um, the providers to pay more attention to these things and start doing suicide assessments 
for those types of general conditions and complaints that come in. So I think that is a significant piece of research that um, you know hopefully we can continue to, to push forward within the entire United States, but obviously, yes, with law enforcement for sure. Um, and also it's because people feel more comfortable going to their medical doctor than a therapist, right? Sure. Um, but they still are not comfortable saying, I'm thinking about killing myself. Um, but if you ask them, that's where you can oftentimes get the answer. It's not that they'll lie. Some people won't tell you. But the vast majority, you know, when you ask them, if you ask them straight, not not a wishy-washy, you know, have you ever thought about maybe kind of hurting yourself? That's not the same thing because that could mean other things. Like, have you thought about killing yourself? Have you thought about taking your own life? Um, that can open up the, the answer that you need. Uh, so that's one part of it. Um, the other part is, you know, that stigma is really... The stigma is killing people, to be perfectly honest. So the communities that we work in, the Border Patrol stations, um, the environment, the people that we surround ourselves with, if they make a lot of jokes about mental health, if they say that person's weak or other, insert word, um, then I'm not going to feel like I can open up to that person and tell them I'm struggling. If we make jokes, and I know I know people don't like this, but I'm just going to say, like, if we say, oh, that person's so bipolar, okay. Now I know uh, that I'm not going to share that I'm struggling. Maybe I have bipolar disorder. It makes it a negative thing. Exactly, yeah. Um, And so it's important that we create an environment where people can reach out for help and not feel like they're going to be demoralized for it. And that is on all of us because we all can do that. We all don't have to be mental health professionals. Uh, But we can all create an environment that's more supportive. And I, I, you know, and... It's, it's a little bit, there's a lot of stats that you can talk about. Um, people who are approaching retirement are at higher risk, for example. Um, so and we were talking about military is at higher risk. So there's certain things where people, age groups, you know, you look at minority groups are at a higher risk overall. Um, so knowing that information is helpful, knowing the, the signs like uh, people are giving away their um, most valuable possessions. Um, isolation, They're, they used to hang out every Friday night, now they don't. You see them less and less, you hear from them less and less. All of those and all the other um, signs are helpful to know to look out for. But in the end, when we're in a relationship with somebody, we're not always very aware of those things. It doesn't jump out in our mind because how many people say, I would have never thought that person would have done that. And when you say relationship, you're not talking about a married relationship, you're talking about a friendship. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a co-worker. A co-worker, absolutely. You get used to that person being around and you pay less attention to the nuances maybe. Mm-hmm. Because it makes us feel better, to be honest. That's the psychology behind it. Because if you can do it, then I could do it. And that's scary. And I don't want to think yeah. about that. So uh, you would never do that. So you said a couple nuggets here I want to, I want to revisit. So I think, is it safe to say, hindsight is always twenty twenty? Mm-hmm. And so you said that most times we notice the signs after the fact, mm-hmm. and we tend to beat ourselves up and say, man, it's my fault, I could have prevented it. And I, I'm not saying this for the families as well. Mm-hmm. Not always the case, right? Oh, no, 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 no. In the end, we all have to recognize that somebody's decision to take their life was their decision. Um, it, even if you just had a huge argument with that person, um, no matter what, they're the ones that made that choice, and we have to understand that or we will struggle the rest of our lives. By the way, I do want to mention that the children of people who die by suicide have a higher rate of dying by suicide as well, too, because of that kind of thing. So 
it's very important for survivors of people who die by suicide to get mental health treatment if they're struggling with any kind of guilt um, and to recognize that it's never, ever, ever their fault, ever. And I heard you say one thing that uh, I'll tell you, I had never put it, heard it put this way before, and that was one of the best things we can do is to create an environment where it's okay to seek help. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how we don't want to make fun of a situation like that. We don't want to ridicule somebody as being weak or make it a negative because that makes it where somebody doesn't feel like it's okay to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So in addition to all the other things that, that we have been told that we should do to try and prevent this, mm -hmm. I think that's a very key point that I, I've never heard before put mm -hmm. that way. It's on all of us to create an environment mm -hmm. that makes it okay and safe to talk about. Mm -hmm. They may want to come talk to you, but they may not feel like they can because you have just made it into a negative thing. Exactly. And I, and I should also say, I, you know, I talk to people, more senior agents, who are um, pretty hardcore sometimes. And, uh, and, and yet, when I talk, talk to them, they have their own trauma. They're struggling too. So even the ones that maybe seem less approachable or that might make fun of you, uh, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like the bullying, right? The bully is usually the one that's also going through their own horrible experience, right? And so they take it out. It's the same kind of thing, perhaps. Um, you know, the the person who makes the most fun or who um, who is less supportive may have gone through or going through their own thing, their own experience, right? And they're struggling and they don't want to have to open up, so they're going to make fun of you. A little of that sometimes. So. And you kind of talked about it or alluded to it earlier, and it was a very blunt, are you thinking about killing yourself? Mm -hmm. But we see the warning signs, we see it in somebody that we care about or that we know. How do we approach it? Mm -hmm. How do we handle it? Yeah, good question, really. So if you have any concerns and you feel comfortable enough with that person, say something like, um, you know, hey, Chief, I'm, I've noticed that you aren't... Um, you know, it's go lucky as you used to be. You used to, you know, walk in every morning on top of the world, but I've noticed the last couple of days it hasn't been that way. Is everything okay? You know, how can I help you? Um, so just kind of open up with your observation and letting them know that you care. Um, and I hope it's okay to use an example. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, and then if, if their response is um, still concerning to you, um, or even if it's not, even if it looks like they're just, oh, no, I'm fine, it's not a big deal to say, okay, I just want you to know that I may not know the experience you're going through, but I am here for you to support you with whatever that is. Um, and then if you get to the point where you are concerned about them harming themselves, again, you want to be direct about it because it's easy to say no if the question is not direct. So are you thinking about killing yourself? Have you had thoughts about killing yourself? Um, not just about dying, not just about harming yourself, because that can mean another thing, well, not dying, but harming, right? Um, so you want to be very direct about it. And that is one of the most challenging things for people to ask directly. When I do suicide prevention training, um, there was one I used to do when I worked somewhere else where you would role play at the end. And you would have to role play asking that question. And even knowing that it was a role play, people struggle saying those words, putting those words together is very challenging. And I should also say as a therapist, 
as a new therapist, we have to practice that as well because it is very difficult for someone right out of school to be able to ask that question too. And we're professionals and we still, it, it can be very scary because, oh crap, like what do I do when they say yes? Wow. Right? So, Interesting. Yeah. That's uh, And it makes sense because it's it, it's a hard thing because it lays it bare. It's out in the open. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're committed, you're confronted with it. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Interesting stuff, Shannon. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So you have the entire law enforcement community out here that uh, that's listening, all of our, our agents, men and women out in the field right now. Mm-hmm. What do you want to say to them? If there's anybody out there that's struggling, having issues right now, or, or somebody's looking for help to try and help somebody else, mm-hmm. you have them listening. What do mm-hmm. you want to say? Uh, first, I want to say thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, and please don't ever feel that being a helper means giving more of yourself um, than is needed. So what I mean by that is take good care of yourself. Monitor your own um, uh, emotions and experiences and stuffing things aside and assuming that you can tend to it later doesn't work. That's not effective. It just builds up and it comes out sideways sometimes. Um, and, and be active in, in engaging with the people that you work with um, so you kind of know them a little bit better, if possible. I know we've got our introverts and our extroverts, but, you know, you work with people closely. It's usually on the same kind of schedule. So just kind of pay attention and, and um, try not to make fun of mental health. Try to recognize that it's important and express it. Um, and just be very supportive of the people that you work with. But please take good care of yourself. Please take good care of yourself because we need you. The country needs you. Your family needs you. But, you know, you have such an important purpose in working in law enforcement, and it's very valued even if you feel like it's not sometimes by some people. It is very valued and very important, and we need you. We need you to be well um, mentally and physically. Well said. Shannon Mosley, Loyal Source, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it. Uh, thanks for joining us again from the United States Border Patrol Academy. We'll talk again soon. Keep your heads up out there, take care of one another, and stay safe. Honor first.